Hey, daters. Are you sick of small talk and no date being planned? Well, I'm excited to introduce you to First Rounds on Me, a revolutionary dating app designed for modern singles who are fed up with the frustrations of today's dating scene. The app is all about actually helping you plan dates and build genuine connections. How so? Well, the only way you match with someone is by planning a date. Send a date, a time, and a location, and then the rest is up to you. Ready to go on real dates? You can get one free month of their premium subscription with code DOCTOR, D-O-C-T-O-R. Download First Rounds on Me using the link in the show notes and start building meaningful connections offline. Hello and welcome to Reimagining Love. I'm Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Relationships have the power to wound us and the power to heal us. As a clinical psychologist, author, and professor at Northwestern University, I've devoted my life to studying intimate partnerships and family dynamics. On Reimagining Love, I'm here to translate complex clinical topics into tools and takeaways that you can use in your relationships today. If you're ready to develop relational self-awareness and create vibrant and loving relationships with the people who matter most to you, you've come to the right place. I'm so glad that you're here. My guest today is someone I have wanted to have on since this podcast's inception, Terry Real. Terry is an internationally recognized family therapist, speaker, and author. Terry founded the Relational Life Institute, offering workshops for couples, individuals, and parents, along with a professional training program for clinicians to learn his relational life therapy methodology. He is the best-selling author of I Don't Want to Talk About It, How Can I Get Through to You, and The New Rules of Marriage. Right around the time this episode is coming out, Terry's newest book is going to be on bookshelves everywhere. His latest book is called Us, Getting Past You and Me to Build a More Loving Relationship. You are going to hear Terry and I talk about what he offers readers in this book during our conversation. You know, when I was a young clinical psychologist, I would sit front and center at every Terry Real workshop I could possibly attend, taking copious notes and feeling absolutely blown away by his nuanced understanding of gender dynamics and his ability to work deeply with couples. Over the years, our relationship has undergone this marvelous transformation from one-sided fangirling to mutual friendship, and I just love it. I can't wait for you to hear from Terry and learn more about his seminal work and ideas. And of course, I had to get his take on a great listener question about conflict. This listener is struggling with a partner who tends to escalate in moments of tension, and she's seeking guidance for what to do. This topic is absolutely crucial, and Terry teases it out with me in a helpful and compassionate way. I just know you're going to enjoy this conversation. Terry, thank you so much for being here with me today. Oh, it's a joy. It's always a joy to be with you. Thank you, Alexandra. In getting ready for our conversation, I've been thinking about your work and you and just how very, very long you have been a part of my world and how I will sit in the audience when you are teaching 
wherever and whenever I have been. I think every time you've been at Networker that I've been there, I sign up and I sit before you and I just soak all of your wisdom in. I love your framing of the impact of patriarchal socialization, how our wounds come with us from childhood, how we move from what you call toxic individualism into relationality. And that's all of what I'm so excited to share with the Reimagining Love listeners today. Oh, fantastic. I love it. Let's go. So whenever we have a guest expert on, I love to start with this question, which is, can you tell us about a growing edge that you are currently working on in one of your important relationships and what it has been teaching you lately? Oh, my gosh. So back in the 90s, I wrote a book called I Don't Want to Talk About It, Overcoming the Secret Legacy of Male Depression. And it was the first book ever written about male depression. I'm proud of my role in bringing male depression out to the fore. Before that book, depression was seen as primarily a woman's disease in a way that alcoholism was seen as a man disease. The book did very, very well. There are an estimated 6 million depressed men in America. Uh, so the book did great. And I was on TV and Oprah and flying around on patients' private jets and doing consults to the rich and famous. And, and it went to my head. There's a saying, therapists are people who need to be in therapy 40 hours a week. There is no accident that uh, one of the things I'm known for is my work on grandiosity, and particularly grandiosity in men. And getting a little bit famous and a little bit comfortable financially, I started to think I was going to save the world. And I was uh, quite the shit. And it hurt me. It hurt my family. It hurt my marriage. And I think it hurt my reputation in my career early on. Uh, this is, what, 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot of excitement about this new book, Us. I, I've never received the kind of... Uh, response from a publisher that I've gotten from Random House. My friend Bruce Springsteen was gracious enough to write the forward. And uh, my edge is being in right relationship to my own success and to the gifts and to inhabiting a role as a public voice in the world. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you a story. It's the story of the Holy Grail. And the great knight, Parthaval, uh, is out in the woods searching for the grail, and he goes through all sorts of ordeals and tests, and lo and behold, he sees the grail castle. You don't find it, it finds you. And he stumbles his way into the castle, and he stumbles his way to the grail chamber, and there's the grail, and next to it is the grail keeper, this ten-foot knight. And the grail keeper says to him, you have one question. And young Parsifal says, who does the grail serve? And everything's gone. He's back in the snowy woods. Castle gone. Grail gone. Wrong question. And he has to stumble through about 300 pages of more ordeals and maturation. And the grail comes to him second time. And he stumbles in. And there's the and the grail keeper says, you have one question. And Parsifal says, who serves the grail? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he gets the grail. I say that a young man's question of the world is, what have you got for me? And a grown man's question of the world is, how can I serve? Beautiful. So, uh, I get choked up. Um, 
as I step into the new book and into um, becoming more of a public figure than I've been for a number of years, my edge is being in right relationship to it, which is neither divesting of my own gifts and the power of it uh, and pretending it's smaller than it is. That's a mistake. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, or uh, grasping it and owning it egotistically. I'm proud of my craft and I'm humbled by the inspiration that can pass through me. It's not mine. Uh, I belong to it. It doesn't belong to me. Everything you're saying lands so deeply. It is, oh, man. Hmm. I hope that as you allow your craft to shine and for your work to serve, I hope that you find all the ways to hold deep compassion for the young man that you were who didn't quite know how to get in right relationship, right? That guy was trying and he fell into the pitfalls that, my gosh, they're just so deeply human. Well, thank you. That's a very compassionate response. Have you ever thought about being a therapist? (laughs) (laughs) I think it'd be a good one. I love that you're naming that one of the pitfalls is shrinking back for fear of being perceived as egotistical, right? Like it's so much at the heart of your work is that flip-flop we're at risk of doing between grandiosity and shame. Yes, that's right. That's the flip-flop. And so then to not allow yourself to shine and to share and to take up space then deprives the world. Well, that's also egotistical in a different way. One of my uh, many high-powered patients told me a, a Hollywood story. I forget the director, but the famous line is, it's not you, it's not me, it's the movie. Yes. And what I say to people is, your giftedness, your gifts, whatever they may be, are not interested in your neurotic issues about them. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. When you, as you were talking about this, I'm thinking of my very dear friend, Eve. I've been part of a women's circle for like eight years. We gather each week and we do all of our emotional work, you know, in the witnessing circle of each other. And I was one day working on my own neurotic issues about, do I have permission to be in a public sphere? And what if, and the diva and the this and the that. And she looks at me and she's like, oh my God, it's not even about you. You are a channel. Like this stuff comes through you. It is, you know, it is of you, but it is not yours. Like, just freaking share it. Just be the channel. <laughs> yeah. So that's my edge. Is I okay. want to uh, clear it out and uh, be the best vessel I can be for the message that's coming through me. I believe in the message. Yes, I do too. I'm so glad that you are where you are, offering what you can offer. The question that comes up again and again and again in the conversations that I have and all the places, is what the heck are we going to do about all of these emotionally unavailable men? (laughs) The questions are asked by women and they want to know, what do we do with them, Terry? So you, you, you know, talk us through how are we to frame and conceptualize and deal with this idea of emotional unavailability, what we collectively call emotional unavailability. Yeah, I have a number of million dollar schemes I'll I'll never realize. And one of them was I wanted to do a dating service. I wanted to 
uh, do a course on relationality for men mm-hmm. and then have vetted men as dates that charge like billions of dollars to get to these guys 100%. because it's so rare. But uh, first of all, I would like women to have a little empathy. And it's hard because you're the ones that are being let out. But we don't raise boys and men in our culture to be emotionally available. One of the things you've heard me say in the many lectures you were sweet enough to attend is leading men and women into intimacy, whether it's heterosexual or same-sex or non-binary, leading men and women into intimacy is synonymous with leading them beyond patriarchy because patriarchy doesn't allow for intimacy. And specifically, boys and men, to this day, after 50 years of feminism, the younger the man, the better. But to this day, you ask young boys what makes a good man, you get the same bullshit that you got 50 years ago. That's not true for girls, but it is true for boys. Boys are socialized to divest, to be dislocated from their own vulnerabilities, from their emotions, from closeness. And the be-all and end-all is independence. Now, my new book, Us, takes that on. There is no such thing as an independent human being. That's a myth. That's a lie. We are social animals. Even neurologically, we co-regulate each other. There's no such thing as self-regulation. That's all bullshit. There's independence and autonomy that is like the Valhalla for boys and men is a patriarchal myth. It's got nothing to do with how real people operate. We're born to be social. And the essence of my work with men is teaching them to be relational, teaching them to move beyond this uh, myth of strong independence and individualism and enter into their own vulnerabilities, into closeness with others, into accountability. Now, that's a journey for most men. It's not such a heavy journey for women. I'm not saying women are perfect. That women can use a little buffing up too. I can talk about that, but yep. but it's a big deal for men. You know, in the one up, one down world of men, Alexandra, people say men are afraid of intimacy. I don't think so. I think that many men don't know what intimacy is. In the one up, one down world of men, men equate closeness with being overrun, with being subjugated. They're either in control or they're being controlled. And they have to learn what intimacy actually even looks like. And that's where we can come in. And that's therapists, that's coaches, teachers of all stripe. But you can also learn by reading a book like yours and mine, by attending workshops and online courses. The temptation for women is to become the man's teacher. Let me teach you how to be relational. And that's very understandable because somebody needs to teach them. Uh, but it's a false step for women. Mm-hmm. And so women have to stay humble. This is not, this is what you need to learn how to be a, a mensch, but this is what I need in order to feel close to you. Let's talk about how we're going to do that together. I talk to women about what I call soft power or loving power. Mm. And that's what I want women to be doing with their guys. Under patriarchy, you can either be connected. Or you can be powerful, but you can't be both at the same time. Because power is power over. When you move into power, you break connection. So it's like 
connection, accommodation, quote-unquote feminine, power, independence, quote-unquote masculine, never the twain shall meet. If I'm teaching men how to move into their vulnerability, what I would like to teach women, and I go into this a lot in the book, is how to move into strength that is relational and not individualistic. Mm -hmm. So there's a world of difference between saying, I don't like how you're talking to me. You stop it. And saying, honey, I want to hear what you have to say. Could you tone it down so I could listen to you? There are two ways of saying the same thing. But I think the new terrain for women, if I dare say that, is speaking up with love. It's cherishing the relationship and being full-throated in your voice in the same breath. And mostly uh, we have to teach that because the culture has no idea what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Uh, Individual women may have some intuition about it, but it has to be taught. So for women with guys, be positive, not critical. Make requests, not uh, complaints. Take them by the hand and with humility from the eye. This is what I would like more of, not this is what you should be doing. And then when they start to give it to you, reward them. Mm -hmm. A a lot of people, once they start getting what they want from their partners, they cut it off at the knees. It's not right. It's too little, too late. The old homeostasis asserts itself. So you got to work with these guys. I talk to countless women in my office about working with the guy you have instead of the one you deserve. (laughs) (laughs) I think there's a world of difference between a man who has not had a chance to, I think it probably is reclaim these skills, right? Because when boys are little, before we have socialized this out of them, boys are as big hearted, as tender as little girls are. So it's a reclamation. They're even more sensitive, the research shows, more emotional. And then they shut down at three, four, five years old, that early. It's not necessarily teaching men this as it's reminding them, reminding them of who they actually are before patriarchy socialized it out of them, beat them out of them. And that's why my work is called relational recovery, relational life therapy, because we're teaching men and women how to recover. It's not addictions recovery. It's recovery of that state of authentic connection, full assertion, that we're born for. It's mm-hmm. it's recovering that state of relationality that is the only thing that's going to make us happy in this world. Do you feel like you're at a crossroads in your love life? Maybe you are sick of modern dating or wondering if the person that you're with is your person. Whatever your situation, I have the perfect podcast for you. Dateable. Dateable is your insider's look into modern dating, hosted by Julie Kraftchik and UA Shu. Julie and Yue bring a sense of humor to their insightful explorations of all things dating, turning matches into actual dates, the psychology of relationships, red flags, attachment styles, and so much more. I am proud to have been a guest on their podcast three times. So if you're looking for a great starting point, check out my latest episode with them when you're ready and they're not. I'll put a link at the bottom of the show notes. Wherever you start, this podcast is going to help you feel inspired to date differently and create a love life that works for you. Subscribe to Dateable wherever you get your podcasts. The point that you're making about women who love men oftentimes needing to be patient 
as he remembers who he is and learns these skills and recovers relationally, I think is such a tender one and such an important one. You're wanting women to be careful to not be the teacher. This does not need to, and in fact, ought not come from her. But it often is that it's in the crucible of intimate partnership that men will do this work, right? It's not problems at work that will motivate this work. It's not problems with their own siblings or friends or family that will motivate this work. It very often is the motivation of intimate partnership that is what becomes the breaking point, right? Or the catalyst for looking at all the ways that patriarchy and socialization have robbed them of relationality. Most men, I mean, not all, they're bad people out there, but most men are good-hearted guys. Mm-hmm. I say most men are concerned, good-hearted, and bewildered. Mm-hmm. They want to please their partners, and they just sort of like, ugh, how do I do it? And it's very easy for the men to fall into, oh, I'm just a big victim, and no matter what I do, she's not going to be sad, and all that kind of crap. But if you give them an avenue, here's a very concrete. I talk to women in particular about three phases of getting what you want in a relationship. You want to hear them? Mm-hmm, I do. Okay. The first I call daring to rock the boat. Mm-hmm. This is the assertive phase. This is when you grab your partner by the collar. You say, listen, buddy, uh, more work around the house. I'm doing too much. Or you can't yell at me the way you do. Or, or whatever it is that's gotten to you. These issues are really important to me. You better take them seriously. I'm not kidding. And it's a clean, clear, from the eye. You're not the authority on relationships. You're the authority on you. This is what I need. Once the guy listens and starts trying, then you roll up your sleeves and you help out. Mm -hmm. And what that means is let me teach you Not what you should be doing, but what I want from you. So our relationships in this culture to relationships is passive. You get what you get, and then you complain about it. Mm -hmm. That's the worst behavioral modification program I've ever heard of. I want women to be proactive. So, for example, I did a piece for O Magazine on the three types of listener. There is empathic listening. Oh, I'm sorry. that, That sucks. Tell me more. There's problem-solving listening. Well, have you tried this? Have you tried that? And there's sharing listening. Well, you're a kid. My kid is driving me berserk. There's nothing wrong with any of those three forms of listening, empathic, problem-solving, or sharing. Mm -hmm. What's wrong is a mismatch Mm -hmm. where she wants empathy and he's doing problem-solving and they're both going to drive themselves crazy. John Gray, God bless him, made millions of dollars on this one point. (laughs) That's right, because it lands. Uh Yeah, he's done well. Uh Women want empathic listening, men move into problem solving. So what I teach women is don't wait for the guy to fail and then criticize him. Instruct him up front. Hey, listen, I need 10 minutes of venting. Yep. Already limiting it is great for the guy because when men here, we have to talk. They think it's going to go on till four in the morning. So I need 10, 15 minutes of venting. While I'm venting, this is what I want. I want you to put your arm around me. I want you to say, that sucks. I'm sorry. Tell me more. Like a girlfriend. I want you to just be a wonderful, compassionate listener. Don't solve my problem. Do this instead. And they will. If you're that clear with them, 
nine out of 10 times, they'll at least try. But break it down and teach them what you want. I want more assertiveness proactively and less resentment on the back end. So that's two. First, rock the boat, get their attention. Two is roll up your sleeves and teach them what you want. And then three is reward their efforts. Mm -hmm. Don't discourage, encourage, which a lot of women get wrong. I teach women to celebrate the glass 15% full. It was only 5% full last week. This is great. Let's keep going. But who does that? We all criticize them for not doing it right, not doing it enough. Knock that off and get more of what you want by encouraging it with positive feedback. So those are the three phases of working with a guy. I love it. I think it's wonderful. Is that, I mean, all of these steps require shattering the idea that if you loved me, you would. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're just shattering it. We need to be the instruction manual for how we want and need to be loved. And that that for her to be daring enough to rock the boat is basically her saying, this relationship matters. Me feeling loved by you matters. It's such a positive spin, right? It's saying, I love feeling loved by you. Let's get really clear and concrete on how we make that go as well as it possibly can, because I love it when I feel loved by you, right? That's the thing that I know about husbands and boyfriends more than anything is that sense of I've been disappointing to her. Seeing disappointment in her eyes is an acute pain point for men, I feel like, differently from women. And that, I think women so easily miss that, right? They sort of are blind to the fact that the the disappointment that can be read all over their face is absolutely crushing for him. He wants to be pleasing. He wants to be successful. He wants to shine in her eyes. That's beautifully put, Alexander, as you often are. Yes, that's exactly right. And and also for women to get settled in the relationship that confronting these issues and daring to be assertive is in the service of the relationship. Yes. It doesn't mean I'm a selfish woman. It means I am uh, doing relational hygiene for this biosphere that mm. we're both. That's right. Because we, you, I remember you making this point at a, somewhere I saw you teach at some point in time where you talked about when women have been such people pleasers, have bit their tongue for so long, when they first step into voice, that voice is oftentimes a bit sharper than necessary, right? It's the, it's personally empowered, but not yet relationally empowered. That's right. And there's a lot of support in our culture for what I call individual empowerment, particularly for women. Yep. Individual empowerment, I summarize as I was weak, now I'm strong, go screw yourself. Yep. And you're going to get therapists and 12-step sponsors and mom and your girlfriends. Is, go, go get them, girl. But that is not where I want you to go. Relational empowerment is I was weak, now I'm strong. I'm going to bring my full voice into this relationship, stand toe-to-toe with you, tell you exactly what I want and need. Okay, we're a team. Let's make this work for both of us. It's got a completely different energy and a different feel to it. And I think when women move from the disempowered, quote-unquote, feminine to the individually empowered, quote-unquote, masculine, that's what we call in family therapy first-order change. It's a rearrangement of the furniture. I want to break up the binary. I want to move beyond these dichotomies. I want women to be full-voiced, assertive, and cherishing all in the same 
Bring us. Yes. It is, I am speaking up because this matters so much to me. Beautiful. And I love what you're saying. I often tell people, uh, stay focused on your intent. Right. And speak your intent. Mm -hmm. Honey, I want to be close to you. The way you're talking to me right now is pushing me away. Can you talk more softly to me so I can stay closer to you? That's a winner almost every time. Yeah. Remember the goal. The goal is a healthy relatedness and closeness. But, you know, my pal Carol Gilligan has a saying, she's so, so fundamental. She says, there can be no relationship without voice and there can be no voice without relationship. Mm -hmm. So when you do say it, say it lovingly, firmly and lovingly at the same time. And I just want to put a big old spotlight on this glass 15% full idea because it was only 5% full last week because I think that sometimes women especially are at risk of feeling like they're taking just little baby scraps, right? Like, how can I celebrate this when it's not when I had to ask for it, when, you know, he had to pause and step away before he gave it to me. And then we have to come back and say, because if we rewind the tape a little bit, six months ago and three months ago, this wasn't happening, right? And progress is not a light switch. We can't just kind of flick it on. There's going to be these cycles of of little steps. It has, it's going to be little steps and bits right. of progress. And in celebrating that moment of progress, it's not saying like, okay, now we're done, but it is saying like, look at us, we're changing these patterns that have been so hurtful for each of us in the past. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I talk about daring to take yes for an answer, even if it's a little yes, and working with the one you've got instead of the one you deserve. Women think if I celebrate the glass 15% full, the guy's going to stop. Right. But that's not true. That That is another myth. Encourage him to keep going. The other thing I wanted to say is about this traditionally feminine idea that if I have to work this hard for it, it doesn't count. Right. That my Prince Charming should just know what I want and give it to me. And if I have to actually fight for it, break it down, teach it to him, reward, do all this. I mean, why should I have to work so hard? Here's what I often say. Uh, girls, uh, uh, Cinderella is dead. It's <laughs> 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 charming. Uh, probably just got out of rehab. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if you want it, you're going to have to roll up your sleeves and yeah. fight for it. It's not fair. It isn't fair. You know, you shouldn't have to work that hard. But given the culture you're in, you are going to have to work that hard if you want it. And you know what? Get over it. This is how you work with a kid. You know, if your kid got D's and came home with a C minus, you wouldn't slam him. You'd congratulate him and work toward getting that up to a C plus. This is how you work with a dog. I mean, this is basic behavioral mod. Which, and we're not saying that men are kids or dogs. We're just saying that this is a guy. This is a, this is how behavior. It's how our own. It's how women's behavior changes. My gosh, it is when my husband affirms me for handling something differently than I used to. Right when he doesn't have to ask me five times to give him the receipt for blah 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 blah, and then he affirms that I did a good job of giving him the receipt the first time he asked for it. That lands for me like that matters. So behavior modification isn't gendered, we all need affirmation and validation to show that we've made some progress. 
Yeah, that's right. And the discrepancy between men and women's relational skills and appetite is so vast in our culture that, you know, women get uh, very frustrated and can feel easily how unfair it all is and, and how desperate it feels. But deep down, both men and women are born to be relational and have some faith in your guy. They have big hearts. They want to please you. Get the chip off your shoulder and work like a team and you might be pleasantly surprised. It's what I love so much about your voice and your work is that you hold men to account lovingly and you hold women lovingly around this is difficult and this is real, right? That's You do such a beautiful job with both genders of just validating the difficulty while encouraging us to step into what where we need to go. There's a generation of us. I think of Carol Gilligan. I think of Esther Perel. I think of you. I like to include myself in that mix. We are man-loving feminists. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that that's a healing for the whole culture. Absolutely. It does no good to throw anybody under the bus. Because we are in so profoundly relational, our healing is wholly dependent on everyone's healing. That's, I mean, that's, that's why feminism, all of our feminism has to be intersectional as well, right? Because all of these toxic patterns that have to do with patriarchy are also what plays out around homophobia and racism and ableism and ageism, all of those ways in yeah. which we take any difference and we create a power differential. And that's the space in which violence and... And that is violent. The power differential is intrinsically violent. And I take this on, if I can say this, in us. I talk about what I call undoing the great lie. And the great lie that our culture is founded on is the delusion that one person could be fundamentally superior or inferior to another human being. We are not. We are all of us equal. We have equal value, equal worth. It comes from the inside out. It can't be added to. It can't be subtracted from. This is the essential bulwark of democracy. This is medical ethics. This Everybody knows this uh, in principle, but we don't live it in our lives. And when we undo that great lie of inferiority and superiority, and we begin to live, really live in our hearts as same as, neither better nor worse than another individual or race or gender or what have you. We undo the culture that we've all been in. We are all revolutionaries in our personal lives. And we break out of the chains of the legacy that we've been handed to into the territory that we all long for these days, which is real intimacy with one another. You know, you cannot love from either the one up or the one down. And one of the phrases I really like in my book is love demands democracy. We have to be the same as. That's right. That's beautiful. Terry, I would not be honoring this wonderful community of Reimagining Love listeners if I didn't ask you to riff off of my favorite Terry Real quote of all time, which is this one. Uh-huh. I think you know what it's going to be. Family dysfunction rolls down from generation to generation like fire in the woods 
taking down everything in its path until one person in one generation has the courage to turn and face the flames. That person brings peace to their ancestors and spares the children that follow. I mean, I just have chills when I read it. I've read it so many times and it just, it's everything. So tell us, what do you want us to hear within those words? And this is not work for you alone. This is work for the generations. And when I work with a big, tough guy, a lot of the guys I work with will not do this work for their own sakes. You know, I don't want to do it. And they won't do their work for their uh, blankety-blank wives, but they will do the work to spare their children. I ask men over and over again, what kind of father did you have? What kind of father do you want to be? Will you let me help you break the chain? And I think it's the most significant work that we can do, both individually and collectively. Break the chain. The American dream is for our children to live better lives than we do. That is the definition of the American dream. But when we think of it, we think about it materialistically. I think about it Mm -hmm. psychologically and spiritually. I want my children to be in a happier world than the world I grew up in. And uh, I'll tell you, Alexandra, I am the son of a depressed, angry man. He was the son of a depressed, angry man. And I don't know how far back it goes. I have two young men, two sons, uh, 31 and 34 now. They do not say that. And that is the greatest work of my life. That's beautiful. Yeah. There's a lot in the the book, Us, about uh, moving beyond our automatic responses. Our automatic responses come from our childhoods, they come from trauma and our adaptation to trauma. And in these adaptations, the legacy is passed on from generation to generation to generation. And learning to move beyond those automatic responses into your prefrontal cortex, into your what I call your wise adult self, and make different choices to have the freedom to not be ruled by those galloping horses, but make considered choices. That's the way out of this mess. Mm -hmm. And that's the way you move beyond the defaults that were handed to you and create a different set of defaults that you hand on to the next generation. And I don't think I know of any work that's more exciting and more important than doing that work in our own lives. I think one of the things I also love about that quote is the way in which when we heal ourselves, it's not a rejection of our ancestors. In fact, it is a way of, of saying like you, you weren't able to do this. I do this in your honor, right? And there's a, I love the, the tension in that quote of peace to the ancestors, right? Like I have every confidence that your angry, depressed father and your angry, depressed grandfather would just be moved to tears to see what you've been able to do and what your boys are able to do, right? That that's not a rejection of the men, you know, your lineage. We deserve something different and better and bigger than how we've been living. Yeah, that's beautiful. You know, I'm honored to say that the legendary Bruce Springsteen wrote the foreword to uh, my book, Us. (laughs) And uh, I'm going to mangle it. But at one point he says something, He says, each of us needs to do the work to turn the ancestors behind us 
from the burden we carry to the resource that walks alongside of us. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. I love that. Yeah. Let's move into this listener question that I think is going to kind of pull all of these disparate threads together for us. So we've got a listener question from a woman in Detroit. She uses she, her pronouns. And what she writes is, my partner and I have been together for over 20 years. We don't engage in conflicts often, but when we do, he immediately loses his temper. He raises his voice and becomes defensive. I remain calm and try to diffuse his level of intensity so that we can discuss the issue and try to come to a conclusion that works for both of us. When I ask him to calm down, he says that this is his way of communicating and I should be able to handle it. I don't want to engage with him when he's in this heightened state. I feel his intensity blows the issue way out of proportion and then ruins the day or evening. It takes days for us to get back to normal. He tends to stew and pull away from me. This is our pattern, no matter what size the conflict is. It makes me less willing to communicate my feelings with him. Please help me learn how to handle these situations. Yikes. Well, she's doing a good job of speaking up for what she wants and needs. Mm -hmm. He's doing a lousy job of listening and responding. He is taking what I call the Popeye defense. Uh, You may be too young for this, but it's, I am what I am. I'm Popeye. I am what I am. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) This is the way I talk, and you should just be able to deal with it. Oh, Uh really? Why? Your mother? Mm -hmm. I mean, what what do you mean? You get to say anything you want, any way you want, and you call that a marriage? Uh I would have her push back on that. Uh Look, this is the way you talk. That's fine, but it doesn't work for me. Are you married to me or are you married to yourself? Mm-hmm. So I'm having trouble with you're not listening to what I'm telling you about what works for me and what doesn't work for me. When you respond to me in indignation and anger, I stop listening. Mm-hmm. And I want to hear you. See, that's the yes. cherishing. Part. Yes. I want to hear what you have to say. I don't want to go away. But if you want me to hear what you have to say, you have to lose the chip on your shoulder and speak to me with respect and softly and civilly. Or I'm just not going to be able to hear what you're trying to say. So as a favor to both of us, could you please work on this and stop telling me that I should be able to just take it no matter how you talk? That is just not working for me. Right. And when he takes a step from irritability into patience, I want him to see that as something that warrants a ton of pride, right? He, I want him to feel really proud of himself for doing that for the love of his wife, rather than like he just gave in or he got pushed around or he can't be who he really is. You know, that I think that rather than that being a diminishment of him as a man or as a person, it's something that he deserves to be really so proud of if and as he breaks yeah. that pattern. Well, what you're describing is wisdom, not to hark on this, but it is the essence of us. Yeah. What you're describing is us consciousness. You see, when you move into your wise adult self, prefrontal cortex, you can remember relationship. One of the things I say is our relationships are our biosphere. The essence of patriarchy and individualism is we're apart from nature and above it. Both crazy lies. You're in nature. You're a humble component part. And when you wake up to the humility of that, 
then it becomes in your interest to take care of the biosphere. Mm -hmm. It's not a win-lose contest between you and your partner. If one of you wins and the other one loses, from a relational point of view, you both lose. The loser will make the winner pay for it. This is not a power contest. You don't make sacrifices to your partner. You make sacrifices to the biosphere because mm. the biosphere will pay you back for that sacrifice. That's wisdom. And yeah. that's the essence of what the new book is about, how to step into that wisdom, lose the you versus me adversarial contest and remember what do they say? Happy, happy spouse, happy house. I don't talk to people about altruism. I talk about enlightened self-interest. Like I would say to this guy, right? it's in your interest to listen to your partner and soften up your anger so that the two of you can talk to each other so that you don't have to go off and pout for the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. It's in mm -hmm. your interest to learn this skill. Come on, pull up yeah. your socks. Let's get going. You can do this. Yeah. When she says, I can't listen to you when you talk to me like that, she's not rejecting him as an expression of the divine. She's rejecting the position that he moves into when he feels threatened or scared or like he's a disappointment, right? So I want him to get clear on that. She's not attacking you, the core of who you are. She's saying this behavior of yours is gnarly. It doesn't work for me. So I would want him to really have that distinction in mind. Yes, and I would even make it more positive. It would be less about the behavior you're demonstrating is uh, is a loser and more about this is the behavior you could demonstrate that would work so much more for me. As a favor to yep. me and as a favor to us, would you work on that, please? Lose the self-righteousness and speak with humility from the eye. I'm not saying this is what you should do. I'm saying this is what I need you to do. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for, to the listener in Detroit who sent that question. I think that question really allows us to like kind of ground all of these threads around the we consciousness and holding the relationship. I love this idea of the biosphere. It's, it's just so resonant. Like it's so fascinating how the micro of the couple dynamic is just a reflection of the macro, these big, big, big systems, right? Yeah. And I'm proud of the book. I go as granular as looking at neurobiology, what goes on in our brains and our nervous systems, that the idea of individualism is really a myth, that we co-regulate each other all day long. And then I go into relational skills in a love relationship. And then the last third of the book goes out to gender, patriarchy, racism, the big lie of uh, superiority and individuality, all the way into our relationship to the planet and nature itself. The core delusion is the delusion that we are above nature and controlling it. Whether yeah. the nature we're trying to control is our bodies, I have to lose 10 pounds, our thinking, mm -hmm. I should be less negative, our partners, our kids. And when we trade in the paradigm of power over for a paradigm of cooperation with, we may just save this planet. It's really as large <laughs> as that. Yeah, it's as large as that. So Terry, your book is now, it's available wherever books are sold. I love on Reimagining Love to send folks to their independent booksellers, to bookshop.org. But this is where we want folks to go to learn more. You have a website. We want people to go towards your beautiful brand new book, which is called Us. Beautiful. Us, getting 
past you and me to build a more loving relationship. I'm so excited for you, but mostly I'm so excited for us. I'm so excited that we get another way to just dive into your wisdom and your heart. Thank you. Thank you for writing it. Well, thank you. And thank you for being a good companion. And thank you for this podcast and the work that you've been doing all these years, Alexandra. It's really, really cutting edge, creative, empowering, positive work, full of love as you are. And I very much appreciate it. Thank you, Terry. Thank you so much. Thank you so much to Terry for this rich conversation. Terry's work and writing have had such a profound impact on my own life and work as a therapist, and it was a gift to have him here on Reimagining Love. You are going to find links to all of Terry's books, including his newest one, Us, Getting Past You and Me to Build a More Loving Relationship, in the show notes for this episode. Thank you for listening and be well. Thank you for listening to our show. Our producer is Elizabeth Vogt. Our editors are Mary Chan and Danelle Cloutier of Organized Sound Productions. Our theme music was composed by Slade Warnkin. Reimagining Love is executive produced by me, Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Do you have a relationship question that you want to have answered on the show? Follow the link in the show notes of this episode to send in a written or audio question. Questions can be about intimate partnerships, family relationships, friendships, you name it. I can't wait to hear from you. <laughs>